This week I was thinking about um, the first time that Wendy and I bought a car together. Um, first time we ever bought a car together, we were, um, how many of you have ever been young and in love because that's all you could afford? Raise your hand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like, what do you mean Ben? Like M, right? <laughs> like right now. Um, some of you are like, well, I'm, I'm old and still thankfully in love and unfortunately still broke, right? Um, but we were young and in love. All we could afford was um, a hundred, like $100 a month was all we could do for a car payment. And so we had friends tell us, like, you're crazy. You'll never get a car for $100 a month. And I'll never forget, we bought a, a white, I don't remember the year, I'm sorry, but we bought a white four-door Chevy Corsica. Anybody ever heard of a Chevy Corsica? I mean, okay, so we got a few. Um, when I bought the Chevy Corsica, we were like, the Chevy, huh? You know, what's a Chevy Corsica? It sounds like a disease. And so we bought this car, and we walked out, and there's, there's two things that I remember about buying that Chevy Corsica. Number one, possibly the most important, we paid $97 a month. It was like, sweet, God's $3 better than what we could do. So $97 a month was our car payment. Um, now I would highly advocate that you don't have car payments, but whatever. Back then, that was really good. And then two, I remember the strangest thing happened. We bought a four-door white Chevy Corsica, and we started seeing white cars everywhere. Like, where did they come from? And some of them were four-door Corsicas. And we were like, the whole world has copied us. They have all gone out and said, well, if Paul and Wendy are buying a Corsica, we are too, right? I mean, we saw, we would go to the mall, and it was like parked cars were white. Every car was white. It was just amazing how we saw cars everywhere. And for some of you, that's what this week has been like right? Um, we were talking about that last night. Like just, you know, everything I see is make disciples, make disciples. Anybody else experiencing this? Make disciples, make disciples. Make. And the reason for that is this, because you're focused. Because we're focused. And when we get focused on something, we're so aware of it, we see it everywhere. And that's what happened last week. We talked about how being focused gives us resolve. It's like the more that we saw white cars, we would kind of look at each other and be like, I think we made a good color choice. You know, I'm so glad we didn't go black or, white or red or green or blue because everybody's got white cars. And so the more that we focus on it, the more we saw it, the more resolve we have. It's like, yes, we're right. All these people that are driving white cars are right. It's fantastic. This week, it's great to have resolve. Great to know, man, this is what I'm supposed to do. It's good to see it everywhere. But this week, we've got to talk about something else. Not only does focus give us resolve, focus makes us reliable. Um, how many of you uh, parents don't, maybe don't raise your hand because we don't want you to look bad. I, I was going to show this one video today, but I didn't want to because it makes the dad look horrible and I felt so bad for the kid. But the dad's like dribbling a soccer ball around and he's like talking to his wife who's videoing and he goes, watch this. And he tells his kid who's like that tall, go get in the goal. And so the kid goes back to get in the goal. And I don't know what the dad's thinking, but he just like jumps up, flips around and kicks the ball as hard as he can right in the kid's face. You know, it's like... Of course, it's captured for the whole world to see, and now it's like viral and the whole deal. But have you ever thrown a ball to your kid and then realized the kid wasn't looking? Right? I mean, no sooner has it left your hand, and you're like, look up! You know? It's like, listen, it's great to have resolve. I'm going to catch the ball. It's terrible if you're not focused and ready for the ball. We've got to be reliable. If we're not expecting to catch it, we won't catch it. We've got to be reliable. Um, 
I really need you to get this. So I, I do have a clip. I think you'll really enjoy it. It's always fun to watch other people get hurt. So let's roll that. So here's the deal. We've got to be reliable, right? Um, there's a reason why. I don't know if you, I don't, I don't. What? I've got everybody's attention. So um, we have hands all over the place. Yes, Lord, pick me, pick me. Yes, yes, Lord. So here's the deal, right? Um, I feel like, I feel like, I, should, um, I don't know if you caught this or not when we got the audio up, but at the very beginning, the, the announcer says this, the backup quarterback throws the ball. And when it hit the girl in the face, didn't you think to yourself, and that's why he's the backup, <laughs> right, right? You got one job. You're the quarterback. You got one job. Throw it to somebody with a uniform that's your color so they can catch it, not to a reporter on the side of the field. And, and there's a reason why she didn't catch it, right? And what was the reason? She's not, she's not a Green Bay Packer. <laughs> no, wrong. <laughs> Possibly because she wasn't looking, right? She wasn't prepared to catch the ball. Um, here's what I thought about when I watched that clip. That has got to be the perfect illustration of how we treat disciple-making. And I'm guilty. I mean, I'm, listen, you're looking at the Focus Devotions. By the way, we keep talking about Focus Devotions. If you don't know what that is, here's what you do. You get out your smartphone, you text the word FOCUS to 72717, and we'll send you a daily devotion every day for the month of July. Okay? It's on our website. We'll roll the announcements at the end. You can get off that too. But I think... What I'm being challenged with is this. In the church, we hold the mission. And we just start throwing it everywhere. Just throw it all over the place. You know, it's like, eh, if they catch it, they catch it. But we're supposed to throw it, so we're throwing it. And we're just hitting people all the time. We're not sure if they're catching it. We're not sure if we're throwing it well. We're just doing a lot of stuff, but we're not sure it's really working. That's kind of how we've treated disciple making. We talked about this last week. Someday God's going to look at us, and he's going to say, you had one job. You had one job. Can you imagine? I know that that backup quarterback's hugging like that reporter, but can you just picture the quarterback coach on the sideline or in the next meeting pulling over the backup quarterback and going, dude, you got one job, and it's not hit people in the face, right? You got one job. Be accurate. Make a good throw. That's your one job. It sounds like something happens maybe with Cam in the Panther locker room, right? Throw it to people on your team. I'm sure this year he'll do better. So I want you to turn to 2 Timothy 2 too. I want you to see this. That, that God, is, God has given us a calling. God is, is handing us something even more important than this football. He's got something for us to do. And we have got to be reliable. I'm going to make this statement, and some of you are going to cringe because I know the church is all-inclusive, and it's like, whosoever will come, and that's true. But when it comes to disciple-making, you need to understand this. The person you're sitting next to may not be the right person for the job. And I didn't say that. Paul said it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Now, 2 Timothy is the last recorded letter that Paul wrote. This is like his farewell speech. These are the things that he's saying, the last things he's saying. If you've ever been with somebody as they were, as they were dying, you hung on every last word that they said. This is what's happening in 2 Timothy chapter 2. These are the words that he's giving to Timothy as he's 
telling them what to do. He says this, and the things that you have heard from me, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men. Everybody say reliable. To reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. The things that you've heard me say, entrust those things to reliable men who will then entrust them to other men. We talked about our role as Christians. What we're supposed to do is make disciples. And not just make disciples, but make disciplers, right? This is the word that we made up. What is a discipler? A discipler is somebody who has the message, entrusts it to somebody who's reliable, who can then entrust it to more people who are reliable. And this person is the discipler. They're discipling this person to be a disciple maker. They're a discipler. It's a whole word we made up just because we can make up words. It's a lot of fun. This is what Paul's describing. He says, what you've heard from me, entrust to reliable men who can then entrust them to reliable men. He's saying this, hey, Timothy, what I'm calling you to do is so important, so important. I don't need you just throwing the ball around anywhere you want, all willy-nilly. It's not in my notes, but willy-nilly is fun to say, isn't it? Everybody say willy-nilly. It's just fun to say. Just throw the ball anywhere you want. And like four, heads up, which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, should it be like duck down? I don't understand. Cover up. Like, heads up. Bam. It's like a cruel joke we play on people. I watched a clip of a dude. Seriously, he's like at, at batting practice. Somebody hit a line drive home run, and he's just like hanging out. And some guy's video is just like, heads up. And he went, what? Bam. I don't get it, but whatever. That's what we do. We just throw it. Well, I sure hope somebody catches it. It's too important. It's too valuable. God's calling us to be reliable. This backup quarterback is always going to be a backup quarterback if he can't be more reliable than that. And in his last letter, Paul grabs Timothy by the shoulder pads and pulls him in. And this is what he says. Listen, the things I've trusted you with, you've got to trust them with, to other people. And you've got to trust them to the right people who you can trust to then trust them to other people. You've got to pick the right people. I want you to be the right person. I want you to be the kind of person that if we throw you the ball, you're going to catch it. I want to be the kind of person who throws you a good pass. We want to make sure that we do this right because this matters. Paul looked at Timothy and said, don't drop the ball. So if we've got to be reliable, we've got to start asking this question. What makes us reliable? What makes us reliable? Why, why do most of us find ourselves dropping the ball, and if we're honest, on the bench, never feeling like we can get in the game? And I'm going to say this, it's because we're not reliable. It's because people have tried to pass the ball to you, and you've dropped it. And at some point, they stop passing the ball to you. Here's a really simple reason. One reason why we're not reliable. We're focused on the wrong thing. Here's what we're focused on. I don't know if you're a type A, 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 A person or not. But we focus on being reliable. Like, I'll just try harder. Throw it again. I'll catch it this time. I promise. We just focus on being reliable. And we're never called to focus on being reliable. We're called to focus on Jesus. 
We're called to focus on being his disciple. When we're focused on doing reliable things for God, we miss that we're actually called to be reliable to God. You're called just to be reliable, period. Not to try harder, not to try to catch it better, not to sign up for more activities because maybe this one worked when that one didn't. When you're trying to do things and they're not working, what God wants you to do is actually stop. And Paul says, whoa, hold on, maybe you're not reliable. Always, always the key is to be focused on Jesus. So Paul says, I need you to be reliable, Timothy. I'm, I'm getting ready to step into eternity. It's going to be your deal. I'm going to retire. I need you to be reliable. And so I need you to do three things. And these are the three things I'm gonna, I want you to write down in your note sheet. I need you to do three things. And just to kind of keep with our little football theme here, I love this ball. Um, when I played football, which was not very long, um, Here's what they taught us. I, I tried to play wide receiver. <laughs> tried being the key word, right? So here's what they taught us. They said, when the ball comes to you, you, you got to catch it. So here's how you catch it. If the ball's chest are higher, you do this with your hands. And if it's down lower, you just flip your hands over like this and catch it. But you've got to create a way to catch that ball. And once you catch the ball, you're not done. You're like, what in the world? Like, I'm a receiver. I catch the ball. Once you catch the ball... You've got to secure the ball. And so here's what they taught us. If you want to secure the football, some of you, you women are like, man, keep talking, because I'm going to be better at football than any man in this place, right? If you, if you catch the ball, the way you secure it is this. They'll say you've got to have a minimum of three points of contact. Number one, you take your hand, if I'm right-handed, and you cover the tip of the ball with the palm of your hand. That's number one. And number two, you, you put the side of the ball next to your forearm. And number three, you take this side into your rib cage. And that's it. And if you hold the ball like that, somebody can pound that ball, try to get that ball out. But those three points of contact keep that ball pretty secure. Like, listen, Paul, I didn't come here to get a football lesson. I know, but I'm the one preaching. <laughs> and you're the one fumbling, so I think you should listen, right? So Paul says to Timothy, i got three points of contact for you, and here they are. They're in the Bible, just so you know I'm not, I'm not making it up. I mean, I know God's not really a football fan, Panther fan, but maybe not a football fan. But here's the three points of contact. They're in the Bible, okay? Here's the first one. The first point of contact, he says, hey, Timothy, fan the flame. Fan the flame. First, 2 Timothy 1, 6. This is what he says. It's all in the context of the verse that we just read. Paul says, for this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. He says to Paul, man, he says, Timothy, fan the flame. Point number one, contact right there. You got a mission, Timothy. I'm, head, I'm stepping out. you got a mission. I can't let you drop this ball. It's too valuable. It's too important. It's the one thing we have to do. And so if you're going to do it well, I need you, first of all, in your life, I need you to fan the flame. I need you to get a point of contact. And what in the world does fan the flame mean anyway? He's got a gift inside of him. How many of you like to build fires? Have you ever blown on a fire so hard that you almost like black out? <laughs> You know, that, like oxygen, breath, it's amazing what that can do, right? 
If you're into Survivor, if you're watching alone, you watch these outdoor shows, like they'll work so hard, they get a little bit of smoke going, and then what do they start doing? <laughs> Pass out, right? It's like, I just got to get some oxygen in there because there's something about the breath that fans the flame. And so we know this in Scripture, the breath in Scripture is the Spirit of God. But you're not doing this without the Holy Spirit. There's no way that you're doing this without the Holy Spirit. And some of us have tried. I've tried. I'll just serve God in my own power. I'll just try a little harder. This time, I'm not going to be late. I'm going to set my alarm. We, but trying harder doesn't get it done, does it? Because this is a supernatural call. This is God's mission, not my mission, not the gathering's mission. Not, it's not a human mission. This is God's mission. Go into all the world and make disciples. Everywhere you go, make disciples. You work at Hardy's, make disciples. Make Hardy disciples. You work at Walmart, make disciples. It's tougher there, but you can do it. you got plenty of time in line to make disciples at Walmart. But you've got to do it in the strength that God gives. It's the Spirit. Fan into flame. He says to Timothy, man, forget what's going around you. Forget about other people's fires. Focus on yours. And that was really important for Timothy, wasn't it? I take that to heart. You know why? Because Paul's training Timothy to be a pastor. And it's really easy for pastors. You've probably met them. I hope I'm never one of them. It's so easy for pastors to spend all their time telling you to fan your flame. But he's talking to the pastor. He's not saying, hey, dude, tell all the people in your church to get, get right. He's saying, Timothy, you want to be a good pastor? Fan into flame the gift that's in you. You know what's happened to me right now in the month of July? Man, I'm on my face before God saying, God, help me. Help me fan my flame. Help me to secure this mission in my life. I don't honestly have time to deal with you. Because there's a lot in me that's got to get helped. And all of these things that we're going to talk about, don't think about a church program. Don't think about, yeah, well, if so-and-so would do it, my life would be better. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. This is personal before it's public. Secure the ball. First point of contact. You've got to fan the flame. So what does that look like for us? I'm just going to say this. For me in my life, fanning the flame is a picture of worship. And I don't know how you worship. I mean, I know when I say that word, some of you are like, God, seriously? This is the message where you tell me to only listen to Christian music? Well, having heard some Christian music, I'm not going to say that. What I am going to say is this. You need to be worshiping personally. You need to find a way to worship. Some of you can go walking in the woods and you're worshiping God because you see creation. Some of you, you get in the car, you need to put on some Jesus culture. What is worship? Is it music? No. Worship is us saying to God, you're God, I'm not. I'm just saying it out loud. That's worship. And I'm going to tell you something. I've had so many times with God where maybe it's in a corporate setting. I'm telling you right now, like 8.30 prayer here is amazing. Like if you came to 8, the people that are still smiling while I preach, they're the ones that came at 8.30, right? Because they're just like, he can't say anything that's going to mess us up. It's so good already. I mean, it's amazing what the presence of God will do in your life. When you step back long enough just to say, I'm bowing my knees before you. This is my time with you to remind myself that you're God and I'm not. And there's just something about the bigness of God that just, I can, just for me, I can't say for you, but it's just like, just fans that flame. 
Like I, I found myself going, like, there's nothing God can't do. There's nothing he can't do. There's nothing so big in my life that he can't take care of it. And it just, I find myself just a little more securely carrying this ball. Worship. You've got to find a way to worship. You've got to find a way to worship, not just to sing, but to recognize that God is worthy. Here's the second point of contact. So you got this, this palm here, right? And that's not enough. You got to have that second one. So the second point, he says, don't just fan the flame, value the gospel. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, Paul says this. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So what, what is the good deposit? Like every commentator that I read said the good deposit is the gospel. Now, I need to distinguish something, okay? Because when I say the gospel, half of us are like, what's that? That's like a tract, right? And I, hand on, I put on somebody's um, windshield and then I run away really fast because I'm scared. No, 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 no. The gospel in this context, he's saying value the fundamental truths of your faith. That's what he's saying. Say, hey, you want to you not drop the ball of mission? Worship. Fan into flame the gift that's in you and value the gospel. No. This isn't about telling people. This is about knowing what we tell people. Understand the fundamental, the foundation of your faith. We talked like, last week, we showed that video, Who is Jesus? Remember that video? And everybody's like, uh, a bearded dude, right? Like, valuing the gospel means that you have an answer when somebody says to you, who is Jesus? That's valuing the gospel. This is what Paul was entrusting to Timothy. He was saying, man, this gospel is so important. It's a good deposit. It's got value. Value the gospel. I, I love the idea of value. I, I think it challenges me. I think I find myself saying to God, I thought I valued you. I, but I chose this over you. And so I guess I value this more. It's really hard. Isn't it hard to really stop and ask yourself, like, if I look at the choices of my life, what do I value? And here's what I've come to realize. And this is your big idea for today you don't have anywhere to write down, just jot it on your sheet of paper. Big idea is this. We'll be, re we'll be reliable with, with whatever we think is valuable. We'll be reliable with whatever we think is valuable. You know why um, professional receivers, especially the Green Bay Packer receivers, catch the ball so well? It's not just because they're talented. Because everybody in the National Football League is talented. Like 0.01% of football players eventually play in the NFL. They're all talented. It's because the ones that are hungry, like I'm just going to throw out Steve Smith because I loved watching him play when he was a Panther. He was so hungry. He valued so much like I get to do this and I need to do this well because I'm taking care of my family. So when that ball comes flying at him, he's not thinking it's kind of optional if I catch the ball. He's thinking I better catch that ball. And when I catch it, I better secure that ball. He valued it. This is so hard to say. It's got to be hard to hear, but somebody's got to say it. The Christian church is dropping the ball because we don't value the mission. We're dropping the ball. We're not reliable because we don't value the things that God's asking us to be reliable about. Like, I lost half of you when I said the word gospel. 
You're like, oh, this is like those old preachers. See, I lost you already. We don't value the gospel. If I valued the gospel, my life would look different, would it not? Every conversation I had, whether I actually said different words or not, the way I would handle that conversation, going into it and coming out of it, would look different. I would find myself walking away from conversations, praying that somehow God would help that person encounter the gospel and other people as well. It changes everything. It's white cars everywhere when you value something. We'll be reliable with whatever we think is valuable. Some of you are very reliable when it comes to your car. Don't bring, don't bring that Coke in here. Don't eat food in my car. You're very reliable with your furniture. You better get a coaster for that. We're reliable with what we value. And I'm not saying we shouldn't value our cars and we shouldn't value the coffee table. I'm saying, like, in my house, I use a coaster, right? Because <laughs> I'm smart. What I'm saying is, why do we value those? Why, do we, why are we so reliable with those things? Why do we make absolutely sure that the person you're loaning your car to can actually drive? Because we value the car. It's not bad. But do you see how it makes us be reliable? And it makes sure that the people that are borrowing our car are also reliable? See, what you value is what you are reliable for. Paul says, Timothy, take this good deposit. Take this gospel that I've given to you, what you've heard from me, and secure it and entrust it to men who will secure it and entrust it to men who will secure it. This is valuable. Fan the flame, value the gospel. How do we value the gospel? I'm going to say this, the way that we learn about the fundamental of our faith, and listen, it's great for you to go to Bible studies. We're starting, I know we're starting Holy Spirit tonight. It's good to go to summer school. It's good to do all that stuff, but none of that will ever replace you personally valuing the Word of God. Worship does this. And the second point of contact is the Word. And listen, I'm telling you right now, if the only contact you have with the Bible is me, you are screwed. <laughs> Not because I can't teach it, but because you're around me once a week. There are six other days. Well, I don't know, man. That's a lot of work to send focus to 72717. Whatever, man, you're going to value it or you're not. But I'm just letting you know, if you don't value the Word, you will not be reliable. And if you're not reliable, you're not going to get in the game. We fan the flame, we value the gospel. Here's the third point of contact. Here's the one that really pulls it into the rib, okay? It's a rib shot. We've got to grow in grace. Paul says this in verse, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you then, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Some translations will say grow in grace. And that's the third point of contact, right? So what does it mean to grow in grace? I, I, grace, this is, it's given to us by Jesus, but it's grown in us by community. Okay, let me say that again. It's given to us by Jesus. Jesus gives us grace, right? I love that. He gives us grace. But it's grown in us by community. Make sense? 
Let me explain it. If you lived by yourself, you were never around other people, would you ever need really to give and receive grace? Nah, because nobody's really getting on your nerves. I heard somebody say this. Like, they said, I don't go to church and my life is so much better now. It's like, no kidding. I mean, I love you guys, right? But can we just all admit it is a lot easier alone? But you can't grow in grace alone. You have to be in a place where you need to receive grace and give grace in order to grow in grace. It's the only way. I wish it was some other way. I wish God had put in the Bible, like, eat ice cream and you'll have grace. I just wish any other way. But he said, Timothy, man, grow in grace. Think about this. We don't even know what grace is until we need it and then stay long enough to give it. And there are a lot of people that need grace, and that's when they leave. I don't want anybody to know how bad my life is. <laughs> Why? Because you'll be like one of us, right? Like all of us are jacked up. But you, we don't even, and some people, they need grace, and they receive it, and then they leave. And so they never understand grace. Because you cannot understand grace only by receiving it. At some point, you get to give it. And maybe, depending on your life, I can only speak for mine, I think it's the giving of grace that helps me understand it even more. Paul says this, listen, fan the flame. Value the gospel. Grow in grace. You do those three things, man, you're going to secure the mission. What does it mean to grow in grace? It means to live in community. Those are three things, man. We've got to have those. We've got to have those in our lives. We've got to have worship. We've got to have the Word. We've got to have community. Not just on Sunday. It's got to be every day. It's got to be you personally. You waking up tomorrow morning and saying this, God, today I need to worship you. I need to learn about you. I need to be around people that can help me grow in grace. I've got to figure out a way to do that Monday through Saturday, not just on Sunday. And we have these great things called community groups. They're fantastic for all those things, except it's summertime, right? So we've got a break from community groups. And how many of us will sit at home for an entire summer and say, well, nobody's calling me. Call somebody. Call somebody. Pick up the phone. Send a text. Shoot an email. Do a Facebook Messenger. Install the Messenger app just so you can do it. Call somebody and say this. I need community. I'm dropping the ball. I need you to come over here. Get all up in my rib cage. You got an enemy. He wants nothing more but to pound this ball out of your hand. So all he wants to do is pound it out of your hand. Let me just say this while we're finishing up. State the obvious, okay? This takes time. Don't you hate that? I mean, are you, are you magic button people like me? I'm a magic button person. I'm always looking for the, like, I Google God. I go, okay, God's not Google, but hold on. Stay with me. Like, I Google. I say, I say, Google 
tell me the quickest way to fix whatever problem, right? Like, my life is falling apart. Give me the magic glue. I mean, we're looking for the magic button everywhere. I'm preaching this message to you, and I'm saying you need to have these three things in your life. you got to have worship. you got to have the Word. you got to have community. And right now, all of us are thinking, if I do that tomorrow for one day, will my life be better? No. This takes time. This, we want a faster way, but we all know that this takes time. And here's how I know that you know. So even if you're not a Christian, you might be here and you don't love Jesus, all right? So you're like, I'm digging this message because I can so relate to the football, and I'm just wondering if he's ever going to put it down. Or if, or if, he, if he's ever going to pass it to me, I better be ready, right? So just out of curiosity, how do you catch a ball? Like this or like this? Okay, I'm just making sure because I'm a bad thrower. So here's how I know that you've already bought into the principle of reliability. And focus makes us reliable, right? Because a lot of you are focused on this ball because you think I might throw it to you, and you're like, I'm going to be ready. If I've never caught a pass in my entire life, he ain't hitting me in the face. I'm going to be ready. See, see how reliable you are just from being focused on the fact that I might throw this ball. I want to I convince you that you already believe this. Before you ever stepped foot in this church this morning, before I ever started preaching, before you ever read from 2 Timothy, you already believe the principle of reliability. And you already, believe it or not, have bought into the fact that it takes time. What you haven't bought into the fact of is that it takes time for you to be proven reliable. But you have bought into the fact that it's okay to require time for others to prove themselves reliable to you. And here's how I know. Because someday, my daughter is going to have a young man want to date her and how many of you know dads that one supper with me ain't going to get it done just pulling up reliable car that he may have rented <laughs> let's be honest Wearing a nice little outfit that he might have be taken off when he gets in the car and have like a skanky old tank top or something underneath it. A wife beater. <laughs> Him saying, yes, sir. No, sir. Oh, yes, sir. I'll have her back at this time. He might mean it. He might not mean it. He might be reliable. He might not be reliable. And so how many of you know that if somebody shows up at my house and has the courage to sit through a dinner with me. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I mean, I'm a lot of fun to eat with as a pastor, but as the dad of a daughter who wants a date, not so much. <laughs> right? He can do all he wants in that one dinner. And when that dinner's over and he says, so what do you think, sir? Can I take your daughter out? I'm going to say, well, yeah, we'll just go with no. I was thinking some other words, but we'll go with No. <laughs> And just so you know, I was thinking, heck no. That's what was going through my head, heck no. Um, but what I'll probably say to him is, this has been great. You should come again. Right? And then I might say something like, this has been great having dinner with you all these 11 months. <laughs> Maybe it's time for you to take my daughter to the movies. I'll be there too. <laughs> I mean, isn't this what we do? Dads, am I right? Am I losing my mind or is this what dads do, right? I mean, our daughters get married just to get away from us. That's what happens, right? 
Now, and why is that? Why in the world would I take so much time to be so careful about who my daughter would date? Somebody tell me why. Because my daughter is what? Valuable. And what we're doing for Jesus is less valuable than that. We're just going to throw the ball anywhere, hope it gets caught. I'm so convicted. I don't know if I should be that. I'm so convicted. I'm so convicted that when I look at names on that baptistry and I go, where are they? I'm so convicted by that. Have I passed the ball that poorly? Have we missed the ball when it was thrown to us? Have we taken so lightly disciple-making that we can't even give an account to God for the people that He gives to us? I'm so convicted by that because I would never be that unintentional with my daughter. I would never be that unintentional with my family. I might be that unintentional with my car, but that's another story. Are we reliable? Man, I want to be. I want to be reliable. I want God to look at the gathering and say, they don't get it all right. He doesn't even hold football right. But, you know, man, I can trust these guys. I can trust these guys. Are we reliable? Are we fanning the flame with worship? Personally, not here at church. Our worship team is amazing. But are we fanning the flame personally? And you know what I've learned? When we fan the flame Monday through Saturday, Sundays are amazing. Like, Phil can just get up and be like, Mary had a little lamb. And y'all be like, dude, I don't know what you're saying, but we're going to worship, right? It's just crazy. Do you value the Word? You know what I've learned? I've, I've realized, man, when you guys are reading the Word Monday through Saturday, I preach a whole lot better. Have you noticed that? And it's just because you're in the Word. You're hungry. Community, like, have you ever been that close to somebody that nobody could get you away from them? Man, we've got to have these things. And, and what I love about this I love that this is what God's saying. Because when we preach a message like this, and I, I've wrestled with this this week, I start to feel so condemned over the things you've done wrong. You ever, can you relate to that? You feel so condemned over what you've done wrong. What I've, you've got to see this in this passage. That Paul's talking to Timothy, and, and here's what he's saying to Timothy. Okay, you ready? It's in you. It's already in you. The fire's already in you. There's already a love for the Word of God in you. You already know that you need community. It's in you. I don't have to try to preach it into you. I just have to go, because it's in you. He's got great plans for you. He's got amazing plans for this church. He doesn't have to do anything in us. It's already in us. Just be reliable. It's who you are. It's what His Spirit has made you. Just be reliable. And it all starts with valuing the gospel, with valuing a mission. And you've got, I really want you to see that. And I've got to wrap up. We've got to finish.
Reliability is supposed to be built into us. And usually, people try to guilt it into us. Have you noticed that? Well, if you really love Jesus, you'd come and serve. And you're like, and if I didn't really love Jesus, I'd punch you in the face. <laughs> but you know what, what Jesus said in John? He said it three times in John. He said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And the key is how you read that verse. Because if all you've ever known is this from a platform and from God, then you read that like, well, I guess I don't love him because I'm not obeying his commands. But you know what God's saying? You know what Jesus is saying? He's like, dude, get this. If you love me, you will do these things. You don't have to try. You'll just do them. If you love me, you will do these things. I love Wendy. I don't go home and say, oh, God, I don't sit in the car for 30 minutes. Please, God, help me just to love her when I walk in the door. You know how she is, God. <laughs> just give me the passion to kiss her, just a peck. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? I was like, what's up, baby? If you love me, you'll obey my commands. It's a promise. It's not to make you feel guilty. It's a promise. If you love me, if you value this gospel, if you value that we're called to be disciples, disciples who take what's important and give it to the next generation, to the next generation, if you value that, you will be reliable. You'll be like, I can't worship enough. I can't get enough of the Bible. I cannot be in community enough because I value this thing I'm carrying. That's what he's saying. If you love me, you'll do that. And some of you love him like that. You love him like that. And you don't see these things happen in your life. You just got to spend some time with Jesus. It's as simple as that. It's about, hey, God, forgive me for maybe being distracted, missing what you were saying to me. But now focusing back on what's most important. Focusing gives me resolve, but focusing makes me reliable. Doesn't it make you reliable when you focus We need to pray. I'm going to throw it to you while your eyes are closed. It's going to be great. <laughs> so with every head bowed and every eye closed. Go ahead. It's good. You, you, can, you can trust me. <laughs> oh, man. We just want to give you some margin with God right now, just to, just to kind of say to him, maybe a little self-evaluation. Don't ask yourself, do I really love Jesus? Because if you've trusted him with your salvation, if you're following Jesus, I can promise you, you love Jesus. This is a good time to kind of step back and say, okay, I'm Timothy and he's Paul and you're telling me that I need to have worship the word and community in my life on a regular basis i need to have that on a regular basis i can't really even wait for the church to provide it for me although they probably will but i need to have that on a regular basis in my life and maybe this is a good chance for you to just to kind of reevaluate for a moment maybe just look back over your last week and ask yourself this question were those three things evident in my life over the last week
Not as something that I have to do to get God, but as something that I would want to do because I love God. That's what Jesus was saying. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. And can we just take a moment before we, before we head out of here and just simply repent if we need to. And repentance today would look like this. Jesus, I'm just realizing that I've not valued you like, like I should. And I want to. I want to value you more. And a step for you this morning would probably be just to raise your hand and say, that's me. I've not valued these things. I've not valued this relationship with Jesus like I should have. But I, I'm repenting today. I just wanna, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. You just put it right back down. Just be, thank you. All over the place. All over the place. So the way we're going to close this morning, I'm just going to pray for you. I can't just pray for you alone where you are because we just talked about community, right? So I'm going to ask you to be brave. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand again if that was you. And I'm just going to ask you to stand where you are. And, and here's why. Because in just a minute, you're going to have some hands on your shoulders. And they're going to pray with you as well. So if you raise your hand today, man, I need, I need to repent over these things. I need to value Jesus more. I need to have more of worship, the Word, community in my life. If you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to be brave. Just stand right where you are. Just stand right where you are. Really what you're doing right now is you're just acknowledging that you are the backup quarterback who just whacked somebody in the face with a ball. Or you're acknowledging that you're the person who got hit in the face with a ball because we were just too casual about this thing we call making disciples. And we're just going to repent. But we're not going to repent alone. We're going to repent in community. And so I'm going to ask the, our church, if you're near somebody that's standing right now, it's that awkward moment, like, do I look? Yes, you look. If you're near somebody that's standing right now, I'm just going to ask you to go put your hand on their shoulder. And we're just going to pray with them, okay? It's going to be a lot of movement because there's a lot of people standing. And if you're not standing, you're thinking, God, there's a lot of losers here. Yes, there are. We love that. And I'm going to pray specifically for you that stood. And here's what I'm going to pray. That God would open your eyes to see that valuing Him changes everything. That it's not enough just to be focused on the task with resolve. I'm going to be a discipler. The question today is, but will you be reliable so that you can be a discipler? Don't even think right now, can the church count on me? Right now we're saying, God, can you count on me? I want you to be able to count on me. And that all starts with value. Do we value Jesus? So Lord, right now as we close, I'm just praying for these that stood I'm praying not that they would sing more worship songs in their car or that they would read more in the Bible or that they would sign up for two community groups instead of one. That's just man trying to add more stuff to a list to try to earn something. I'm not praying any of that. 
All that might happen, but all I'm praying right now, God, is that for them right now, your overwhelming love of them would in, just right now, God, immediately increase you as valuable in their eyes. Just to, that work by your Holy Spirit that we cannot do, we can't earn it, just that they would see you, God. That they would see this Savior who did everything for them and, and is pouring His Spirit into them. And you're cheering them on. You're saying, it's in you. I put it there. Fan into flame. Value the gospel. Grow in grace. It's already in you. You don't have to work it up. It's there. Keep looking at me. Focus your eyes on me. Focus on the prize. I'm the prize. God, I pray you would blow them up with a vision of who you are for them. They would see you like they've not seen you in a long time. Not as somebody to work for, but somebody to be loved by. And that no longer would they feel guilted into being reliable. Because your spirit has built it into them. And the end result, God, is we're simply saying, throw me the ball. Throw me the ball. I'm ready. I'll catch it. I'll secure it. I'll run with it until it's time to pass it on to somebody else. God, you can trust me because I am trusting you. And I pray all these things over them in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our friend. Amen. Amen.